Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So if you guys would stand with me as I read God's word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Well, we are in the Advent season. If you're unfamiliar with what Advent is, it is a tradition that started in church history uh, that celebrates the coming of Jesus with the four weeks leading up to uh, Christmas Day, which uh, is the birth of Christ. Um, we take it, in, my, in, my, in our family, I think we've taken it for granted that our kids really understand Advent because we've kind of beat it into their, uh, their little hearts and minds as we've done all these devotional studies, but this past week, it was, it was funny. We have this one particular child, and I'm, he'll remain nameless, but he's about five years old. And uh, he's, he's, he's the kid that just, I mean, he loves presents like more than any kid I've ever seen before. He's got, I mean, there was one day he was making out Christmas lists, and he can't write. He doesn't know how to spell things out, so he just draws pictures. He was handing them to everybody walking into our house. He had tons of lists. But this past week, uh, Megan was doing a devotional with them in the morning, and, and he Sometimes he's, you know, he's kind of sidetracked, and he said, what, you mean Christmas Day is when Jesus was born? <laughs> and we're like, oh my goodness. So we're right there with you, parents, all right? We're right there. Just because they're pastor's kids doesn't mean anything um, at all. Um, but I think a lot of times what we can overlook is the significance of the incarnation. And that's what I want to talk um, about today. Um, Last week, we just talked about this idea that God has been coming closer and closer to His people throughout the course of human history. And for the next three weeks, I want to talk about the things that Jesus did. When, when Jesus came, I want to talk about the things that He accomplished and what He had to do so that we could be won back to our heavenly home with our heavenly Father, seated around His table forevermore. So I've got a verse that's going to be serve as a theme verse for the next three weeks, and it comes from John 14, 23, and it says this, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word. This is Jesus speaking. And My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home, our home with him. This is the grace of Jesus and the Father coming to make His home with us. And the images that we'll be talking about over the next three weeks are the cradle this week, next week the cross, and two weeks from now, the crown. Things that, that are all a part of Jesus' birth and what He's accomplished. But they, the question I want to answer today is this, is what does the birth of Jesus accomplish for us? Now, I could speak about many things as we look at this, but I want to talk about something that I haven't heard in too many Advent sermons before, and it's this it's this. It's this kind of posture right here is, what does it mean to be born under the law? Galatians 4 says that we were born, that He had to be born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So what does that mean to be born under the law? So, got four points. The first one is this. Jesus had to be born under the law because we are under the law. So I want to I reread those verses, verses from Galatians 4 just quickly here. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And listen to what our hearts cry. Abba, Father. Abba is another way of saying Daddy. Crying out to Daddy. He sent that Spirit in us. That's what we're made to do in Christ. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I find it interesting that the antidote to our separation from God is for God to bring us back into His family. Now you'll notice we have a table fully set up, ready for Christmas dinner here. And we thought that this would be a great image for us as we long for the coming of Christ, for Him to come more fully. Because the way that the kingdom will be consummated when Jesus returns is there'll be this meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So when we're one back to the Father, we are called sons and daughters. No longer slaves. No longer under condemnation. So why do you have to be born of a woman? Why do you have to be, why do you have to be born under the law? If God was going to come to us and take on flesh, He had to be made just like us in every respect as the book of Hebrews says. So He had to have a different birth than we had. He had to have a sinless birth. He had to have a different father than, than we had. This is why the virgin birth was so necessary. His DNA, it had to be divine. And so he was born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law. St. Athanasius wrote this great little book on the incarnation. And at one point he says this in it, Jesus became what we are that He might make us what He is. C.S. Lewis says it in a very similar fashion. The Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. So for us, the pathway to wholeness is to become sons and daughters of the King. That's what we need more than anything. It's relationship that heals us. Not our effort, not our doing, but it's this relationship rightly restored with our Father. Now, getting back to the law. When we think about the law, uh, I think sometimes we can easily say, okay, the law is kind of an Old Testament thing. The law uh, is really not, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have that much to do with my life in Jesus. It doesn't have that much to do, even if you're not a Christ follower and you're in here today, you would say, hey, I, I'm not really aware that I'm under God's law. The, the reason why we've got to consider it is, is because the Scriptures say that we were born under it. So, so there's a suppression that is happening in our lives because we are born under this law. So what is the purpose of this law in our lives? Because Jesus says in the Gospels that He didn't come to do away with the law, but He came to fulfill the law. So the law must be pretty important to Jesus. So what's it mean for us? The law is good uh, because it, is God, it shows us, it reveals to us what God's will is. It reveals to us what God's character is. But the problem is the law can't give us life. I want to just run you through a few things here on what the law really does in our lives. But the, thing you're gonna, the, 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 the theme you're going to notice is that it's powerless to save us. 
That's the theme you're going to notice. This chart up here uh, comes from Jack Miller in World Harvest Ministries, but it's so good I just had to rip it and share it with you instead of creating it on my own. So secondly, it shows us Jesus. It shows us Jesus, but it is powerless to give us the righteousness that we need to be with our Heavenly Father forever. Thirdly, it, it reveals God's character, but it can't justify us. Fourthly, it brings sanity, wisdom, and direction, but it can't free us from bondage, from guilt, and corruption. It drives us to Jesus and His Spirit, but it gives us no power to obey His law. It, re it restrains wickedness all around us. In other words, we're totally depraved, but we're not absolutely depraved. You know what I'm saying? But it cannot give us life. It convicts us of sin, but it cannot produce within us a perfect substitute. It is written on our hearts, but it cannot give us the gift of the Spirit. It is part of how God shows us that He loves us, but it can't cleanse our conscience. So if you're ever wondering that feeling that you get within you when you sin, where that comes from, it comes from God's law. Whenever we know, whenever we sin and we know that we're sinning, it's because God's law is present in our lives. So the question is, if the law enslaves us, what's the purpose of it? Like, like why did God even give us the law? Well, the law enslaves us because we can't meet its demands. We don't have what it takes to achieve the things that God calls us to achieve. And, and this, is a, this is a tough thing, guys. So I want to read, I want to share with you just a, the story of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Because I think it, it portrays perfectly what we're going for here. I want to read the first two verses of John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. Now this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that's come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so what's significant about that? Okay, so this guy, this guy is a Pharisee. Okay, a Pharisee is a guy that knows the law inside and out. Now, the law is meant to, to show us what God is like. And this guy is like, hey, look, I'm a Pharisee. I'm kind of a ruler of the Jews. I get the law. I obey the law or I couldn't be a Pharisee. So the significant thing is, is that he's coming to Jesus. Why is he going to another rabbi if he's got it all together? This guy is a Pharisee, a Jew of all Jews. And he comes to Jesus. Does he come in the middle of the day so everyone can see him? No. No. He comes at night. He's deceitfully approaching Jesus. And do you know why Nicodemus approaches Jesus? Why does he do that? Because his life is not working. His life is not working out the way that he wanted it to. He's still missing something. Even though in his heart he thinks that he's keeping the whole law. He knows that it's not working. And I would argue that Nicodemus represents everything that you and I experience in everyday life. He represents it perfectly. His life isn't working. He's probably riddled with guilt. He can't lay his head down at night because he's so... Even though people think that he looks the part, he knows in his heart that he is a dirty sinner. 
And there's no hope for him because all Nicodemus has is the law. He's probably always questioning himself. And I, I would say that we do this as well. There's a lack of assurance in our life. God, have I done enough good to inherit eternity? God, is my life look enough like You where I can be secure in knowing that I'm going to be home with You forever in heaven? These are questions that we ask ourselves every single day. And we wonder as we lay our heads down on our pillows at night, have I done enough? Is it ever enough? Like Nicodemus, I would say this, we try to to meet the demands of the law on our own. And I think we do it in two ways. We do it through pretending and performing. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So we do it, we try to meet the demands of the law through pretending. And here's what we say to ourselves. Hey, I'm not that bad. I mean, I mean, look at this guy. He, he, he's way worse than me. I mean, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really that bad, Ryan. And, and we let our imaginations strain to help provide us a way out. But the corruption runs deeper than we would ever care to acknowledge that it runs. It's so deep that we can't work our way out of it. And you can't live a good enough life to find it out on your own. And the problem is, is that we say, hey, I'm not perfect, no one else is. But that's a lie. Because that's the whole reason Jesus came. Is that we had to have a perfect substitute. It's the whole reason He came. And so when we say that lie, hey, I'm not perfect, and we, try, we excuse our sin more and more, we're still living under the oppression of the law that gives us no hope, gives us no assurance. Secondly, we do it by performing. We say, and when we're performing, we're saying that, hey, he's really not that good. I can keep the law. This is what Nicodemus was doing as a Pharisee. He was saying, look, I can keep the law, Jesus. I can be like you. And I'm reminded of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. You remember what Jesus says to him? He, he, he rattles off a few commands and he says, hey, uh, he, says, he says, you know, I've kept all of these commands. And then Jesus puts His finger on the pressure point with the rich young ruler. And He says, okay, fine, go and sell all of your possessions and give the proceeds to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, was Jesus saying, if you just go and live a life of poverty, then you'll have treasure in heaven? No. This guy's problem was is that he was going to have to give his money, all of his life's work, to people that did nothing to earn it. That's what bothered the rich young ruler. Because these folks had nothing to prove. And I would say that this is what God is after in each of us. Because we're slaves to the law. We're born enslaved to the law as the book of Romans says to us. And do you know what people that are enslaved under the law do? They enslave other people. So you're living under this condemnation, this corruption, and you're, you're trying to pretend, you're trying to perform. And your interactions with other people can only bring enslavement. The only cure for enslavement is grace. The grace of God through Jesus. And I want to I challenge you to do this. Now this is, this is risky. So if you, if you really want to see how the law is working in your life, ask someone close to you this question. How do my life 
and words bring condemnation to you? How, how, how does the way that I live and the way that I speak to you, how does it bring judgment and condemnation to you? That's a revealing question, and it's a hard question to ask. And only people who know that Jesus forgives sinners that put condemnation and judgment on people can ask that question. But because Jesus has finished the work for us, we can ask that question. Megan and I were, were sitting right, right before we were getting ready to go to bed, and she asked me that question. And we had this great dialogue. It was one of those great dialogues that you wish you would be having in the morning instead of late at night. You know what I'm talking about? It was a great dialogue, though. Um, and we asked that question, and it was so revealing to us. Megan and I have a, have a friend who's not yet a Christian uh, that lives near to us, and she often makes the comment uh, to my wife, I, I just don't know how you do it, Megan. I just, I just don't know how you do it with four kids and planning a church and having people in your house and being recently diagnosed with a chronic illness. I just don't know how you keep going. I just don't know how you do it. And I think in those situations when people come up to us and ask us those types of questions, we have two kind of approaches that we can take. We can give them the law or we can give them the gospel. So we could say to this lady, well, you know, if you would just work a little harder, you know, be a little more generous with your money, time, and possessions, like you could have people in your house even though you're dealing with these things as well. And I could, I could show you all the steps to be able to do that better. That would only bring condemnation to her life. But instead, Megan often says, you know, it's, it's really by the grace of God that our life is the way that we have it. And that seems like such a cop-out to people who are burdened under the law. Grace seems like the furthest thing that they want. And I would say when we're under the uh, oppression of the law, that we don't want grace because it seems like a cop-out. But it is the only thing that gives us life. It is the only thing that gives us assurance. It's the only thing that gives us any hope ourselves. So what does it look like, friends, for us to give people Jesus instead of ourselves? What would that look like in your life? In fact, Galatians 5.1 says this, it's for freedom, for freedom, that Christ has set you free. So, so we are those that give freedom to others through the Gospel. Let's not give them the law. It's only going to bring more condemnation. What's it look like to give others the gospel? Thirdly, the requirement of the law is met in Christ. Now, I'm going to read um, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read about six or seven verses to you. This is all I'm going to say about this point. Um, I, I want to encourage you to let this Scripture melt your heart right now. Um, there's, there's nothing that I could add to this that would, that would be any more powerful than just reading it to you. So, so just settle down for a second and let this melt your heart. This is what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's he mean? We're all well-pleasing to God. Nothing else we can do. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order 
In order that what? That the righteous requirement of the law could be fulfilled in you. Think about that. That law that burdens us is is fulfilled in you. What does that mean? When God looks at you, He sees the perfect righteousness of His perfect Son, Jesus, who never sinned, not one day, not one thought. That's how He sees you, church. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There's that language of family again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons, by whom we cry. Here's that phrase again. Abba. Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You know the answer to the law? Jesus fulfills the law for us and He seats us at the table with the Father. Think about that. Think about that. This is is the antidote. It's not more work. It's, it's, It's resting in the promise that Jesus has come for us to redeem us from under this curse of the law. Lastly, as we land this plane, we get to live as sons and daughters of God by being born again through faith. So let's get back to Nicodemus. So if you remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and uh, he doesn't really ask a question, but instead he kind of makes a statement. Well, Jesus being Jesus, he answers the question underneath the question, underneath the question. I mean, Jesus is answering what's at the heart of Nicodemus. And here's what he says to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? That's a valid question, right? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what's it mean to be born again? Uh, my friend Randy Pope uh, explains this better than anybody I've ever seen explain it before. He, he, he compares, this is good, he, he compares being born again with the same imagery that John uses here in John 3. Um, with pregnancy, alright? So, he says, uh, so what's the difference in being a, a Christian and then a born again Christian? Because, we, guys, we live in the South. Let's be, let's be real for a moment, alright? Everyone around us says that they're a Christian. Right? I mean, that's just kind of the posture that we have in the South. It's like saying, I like sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes. We're just, we're Christians, all right? It's just what we do for the most part. So he says to, to be a Christian instead of a born again Christian is, is like saying that you're just a little bit pregnant. Okay? So, so to say you're not Christian is to say you're not pregnant, or to say that you're a born again Christian is to say that you're pregnant. You see what I'm saying here? Is there any such thing as being semi pregnant? 
Ask any pregnant lady in here, anyone who's ever went through pregnancy. There's no such thing. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. And for those who are in here today that would say, hey, you know, I, I kind of grew up in maybe a Christian home or grew up in the South, so I kind of go to church as part of what I do. But you would say you have really no assurance that Jesus has done the work for you and that you've placed faith in Him. I would say you've got to take that step because that's when we get the Spirit. And do you remember what the Spirit does? The Spirit is what God puts in our heart to cry out to the Father. The Spirit is what makes us alive. The Spirit is what gives us sonship. The Spirit is what brings us into the family of God. The Spirit is what gives us perfect righteousness that God requires. If we have not the Spirit, we are not sons and daughters of God. It's the reality. But the problem is a lot of times, even those of us in this room that say, hey man, I... Yeah, I've, I would say I'm a born-again believer. I have the Spirit. I'm not under the law anymore. I think we still get back under the law sometimes. Let me explain what I mean by that. My friend Tito is a pastor uh, to Latinos here in Gwinnett County. And, and he explained a, a story to me this week that was very interesting. He said uh, many people in his church, when they originally come to the U.S., they have like a work visa, or some of them are um, undocumented immigrants, and, uh, and he says there's this, this spirit of fear that just consumes their lives as they come to the U.S. Of being, of being found out or doing something wrong or being accused of something because they're not yet citizens. And he said you would think that when they become citizens of the United States, that that would go away. That, that, that there would no longer be that fear because they're citizens of the United States. But he says you'd be surprised how often the fear remains even though the citizenship is real. Friends, our citizenship is in heaven if we're in Christ and we've been given His Spirit. So we don't have to fall back into that spirit of slavery that Paul talks about. Anytime you look to yourself to meet the requirements of the law, we're falling back under the law. And there's no hope for us in that. And when we're back under the law trying to meet God's requirements, what we're doing is we're pulling other people under with us. But when we've seen and tasted the grace of God, we give it to others. We invite others to see and taste the Lord and His goodness. So I want to invite you uh, today. I want to invite you uh, to come and taste that grace anew today because Jesus was born under the law to redeem us from, out from under the law. And I want to share this quote for you um, that will lead our prayer time. It's from David Benner, one of, my, one of my favorite authors, and he says this, Every time I dare to meet God in the vulnerability of my sin and shame, this knowing of God is strengthened. Every time I fall back into self-improvement mode, and try to bring God my best self, it is weakened. I only know divine love unconditionally. Radical and reckless love for me when I dare to approach God, get this, just as I am. How many times do we approach God and we, and we, and we, we promise the better future version of ourselves instead of where we're just at right now? You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey God, I'm never going to do that again. Tomorrow morning we do the same thing. You understand what I'm talking about. It's confession time for me. Sorry. The more I have courage to meet God in this place of weakness, the more I will know 
myself truly and be deeply loved by God. And the more deeply I know this love, the easier it will be to trust it is Christ that did it. Preferring God's will to my own. So our knowledge of God is strengthened. Our knowing of God and our being is strengthened when we submit ourselves and admit that we're sinners and that it's only Jesus that can, that can, that can provide the way out for us. So let's let that lead us into prayer as we continue in worship. Our, our Father, we, we come to You and we're grateful that we can call You Father. We cry out, Abba, Father, because You sent Jesus. You, you literally sent Him away to come to us. And as John 3.16 says, that it was all in love that You did that. For God so loved the world. He so loved us that He sent us Jesus. And God, we just confess that there are a lot of times in our life when we stiff-arm the grace of God thinking that we don't actually need it. Father, we ask forgiveness for that. Father, teach us to be a people that receive grace well and give grace even better. Lord, meet us this morning. I pray for those that are my friends in here that, that maybe don't know You yet. They would say, I don't really have that assurance, Ryan, that you're talking about that comes with being born again in the Spirit. Father, I pray that they would have the humility and confidence to know that your word's true, um, to receive you today, to receive you this week, to live in the full assurance of your blessing. So Father, we thank you for that truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.